Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1942 ceremony year win for Joan Fontaine for the movie Suspicion. Uh, This is a very interesting year. Uh, Best Actor went to Gary Cooper for Sergeant York. Uh, Best Supporting Actor went to Donald Crisp for How Green Was My Valley. Best Supporting Actress went to Mary Astor for The Great Lie. Best Director went to John Ford for How Green Was My Valley. And Best Picture went to How Green Was My Valley. And this is the famous year uh, where this movie famously beat Citizen Kane, which is like one of the greatest movies of all time. And it's described as one of the biggest Oscar snubs. We're not really going to be talking about that. But if you want to check it out, just go ahead and um, check out this thing called Google. It's great. They have lots of information about it. Um <laughs> So uh, today I am joined by a fellow comedian, um, a friend. He uh, is originally from Thunder Bay in Canada. He has a comedy album, Rock Bottom, which is very funny. You can check that out. It is streaming now. But he actually recently recorded his second comedy album called The Catman Let Loose, which will be released this summer in 2023. Uh, He is also a puppeteer uh, with his friend Andre the Alien. They perform in Ottawa and they're touring around Canada. So if you want to check out more information um, about that, you can see that on Instagram. Instagram and social media and stuff like that. We'll talk about that more at the end of the episode. But please welcome uh, Bobby Knopf. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Kyle. How's it going? Good. That was. You have a lot of credits. Well, thank you. Congratulations. I, I was, as you were saying them, I was like, oh, I've, I've been busy the past little bit. Yes, you have been busy. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I got to ask about this puppeteer. So, like, what kind of puppets are they? I'm picturing like uh, like Muppets. Yes, very much. I grew up loving the Muppets. So Andre the Alien looks like he could just be a lost member of the Muppets. Oh, and I love that. Yeah. And he just was uh, crash landed here and he loves to learn about humans. So what better way than to host a talk show where he interviews comedians? Oh, my God. That's so funny. Also, when you said um, Andre the Alien, I thought that you meant Andre was a person. <laughs> And then he has a puppet that's an alien, and then they call it Andre the Alien. That's amazing. Oh, man, I kind of wish that was it now. Because I'm looking at your social media, and it's like, follow his account for information. I'm like, oh, because Andre is a person, and apparently I'm too lazy to just click on the button. (laughs) And realize, like, oh, no, it is a very clear alien red puppet. (laughs) Yes. So I'm I'm glad that we cleared that up, that Andre is, in fact, a a puppet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little crazy sometimes though it sounds like he exists in the way I talk to people so that confusion you just had is totally justified because the way I speak my girlfriend's like you got to clear that up sometimes because people definitely think that he's someone else I'm like he is (laughs) (laughs) so like what kind of um an alien like what's his personality like is he like um like a third rock from the sun alien where he's like goofy and friendly or is he um like a Ripley in space kind of alien no, super like warm and inviting. He actually found the gold record that we sent out in the 70s on the Voyager 1 and 2 with all the information about humanity's accomplishments. And he's like, wow, these humans are cool. So he kind of came here and then on the way down, he crash landed in my backyard. And then I introduced him to the world of stand-up comedy. And so he just <laughs> loves people and learning. And he's really, he's a sponge, but he learns really fast because obviously he has his own technology for his planet and everything. 
oh, I love this. I love that he came down to this planet and the one thing that he latched onto was Canadian stand-up comedians. <laughs> yeah, next time you're in town, it's happening. You're definitely on it. The only reason I haven't had you on is because we're just not in the same city right now. Oh, I mean, fair enough. I will be there in September recording uh, another album. Although I got to tell you, every single comedian in the country is releasing an album this year. I think I might wait till next year to release it. I know. I was thinking like, oh, this might not be a good time, but I also just needed to put one out for like sound exchange stuff. I needed some more content out there. You know what I mean? So I was like, I have enough to maybe put out another one next year. So I'm like, let's get this out and then go from there. Yeah. Um, anybody listening, Sound Exchange, a lot of Canadian comedians. We live off of our royalties uh, from our comedy albums on Sirius XM. So it's good to put out content because we love to pay our bills. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and survive. And survive. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is a very interesting year, Joan Fontaine, for uh, Suspicion. I always like asking my guests maybe why they picked a certain year or if there is any particular reason. Is there any particular reason why you selected this year? Uh, well, when I was going through, uh, I wanted to choose an uh, earlier year because it was less chance of me having any overlap with movies I've seen. Right. And also, I just went on an Alfred Hitchcock kick a little while, like a few months ago, and didn't watch this one. And so I was like, oh, perfect. This completes my Alfred Hitchcock kick and then get to watch four other movies. Well, have you seen uh, Rebecca? No, that's the, another one I haven't seen. So she was, yeah. So basically a, a big part of the drama for this year, there were a couple of things, but a lot of um, people were saying that the reason why uh, she had won uh, this year, many pundits were saying that uh, she had won this year because she didn't win the previous year when Ginger Rogers won uh, for Kitty Foyle. Although, frankly, in my opinion, it should have been Ginger Rogers. I don't think that Joan Fontaine was snubbed. Uh, but there's also a little bit of drama because Olivia, Olivia de Havilland, her sister, was also nominated this year. Um, and they apparently had this um, very well-documented feud, not of the Betty Davis and Joan Crawford uh, proportion of feud, but they did have a rival. Rivalry, I think that sort of began with their mother. And of course, during this time, like the media, well, actually, no, not really just this time, it just in general, like the media loves to pin two similarly um, career path type of women against each other. Um, yeah. Like the most recent one that, you know, in my head that's coming to mind is like, let's say, um, uh, like Cardi B and Nicki Minaj, for example, where yeah, they're like, oh, you're two female to- rappers, like you must hate each other. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, anytime something, or it's like two black comedians are rising at the same time. It's like either you guys are best friends or you hate each other. It's just like, or it's just two people doing something at the same time. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, even starting, like when I started comedy in Ottawa, like this was, I started comedy in 2013 and like I was the only gay. Okay. And then at one point, Jesse Reynolds, who is a very good friend of mine, came into comedy. Yeah, I know Jesse. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, and, and he, like he came into comedy and I remember the club owners were constantly like pitting us against each other and constantly saying to our faces that like, we didn't like each other and that like, we were so bitchy to each other and we were, and I'm like, none of this has happened. Like you guys are creating all this drama and like Jesse and I are like friends. Like, why are you doing this? But it's just, it's a way of people being like, okay, like you're not of the normal uh, mold and because there's more than one of you we don't know what to do with you so we just compare you to yes and then make it a rivalry even if there was nothing there yeah e- exactly and so not to say that my 
<laughs> friendship with Jesse or quote unquote rivalry with Jesse is anything comparable to Joan Fontaine or <laughs> um, Olivia de Havilland, but I'm just, I suppose, making comparisons in my own life. So um, let's jump in then and let's talk about um, our first nominee in the first movie. Uh, so let's talk about Greer Garson in Blossoms in the Dust. So very quickly, um, Blossoms in the Dust, after losing her young son, Edna Gladney opposes the unfair laws discriminating against children whose parents are unknown and opens an orphanage for those children. I believe this was based on a true story. Obviously, it's like Hollywood-ified. Um, and uh, this was a very interesting year at the Oscars because every single one of the women nominated had already previously been nominated for an Oscar. And this was the first time in Oscar history that that had ever happened. Like they didn't have any new comers um, oh, being nominated. I mean. um, so in this movie, Greer Garson plays Edna and it's basically a story of how she had a child and she was terribly happy. And then she loses the child and then she loses her husband, which, by the way, when the husband dies, that was like a blink. If you miss it, yeah. Like I actually had no idea. Um, but I've never. Okay, this is this is like kind of offensive, but I've never really cared too much about Greer Garson vehicles. Um, but I will say that I actually really enjoyed this film. I enjoyed the journey of watching Edna from. Um, being super happy and everything is perfect. And then she loses everything and the way that she takes her pain and tries to help other people and um, changing the stigma of adoption. And um, it, it was just sort of a really interesting journey, a little bit of a heartbreaking performance. And ultimately like this character and this person was so selfless in what they did. And um, it was a really nice character arc and a journey. And I think that Greer Garson was perfect for the role. And um, I really enjoyed this film and I enjoyed this performance. Anyway, what did you think of this film and what did you think of Greer Garson's performance? I have to agree with you a lot. I really enjoyed it. It was kind of the one on the list that I was just when you quickly read a description of movies, this one out of the five, I was kind of like, okay, this one might be one that I'm going to be a little bored during. Yeah. But I found it was the opposite because exactly what you said, like everything that was happening to her, she kind of took it and used that for something else later in her journey to help people, but still like battled with it instead of just like, well, that's okay. You know what I mean? Like very much like and the whole thing also that's forgotten in the description. And I think uh, you might not have mentioned it was like her sister killing herself first because her finding out she's one. And she, her husband's not going to marry her. I and, or not, to... not her sister, like her sister, but she was clearly adopted or whatever. Well, like... okay. I mean, okay. I kind of just laughed, which was very rude. But the reason why I laughed at that is because as a viewer, as a comedian, that scene was just comedy. Because say, oh, so yeah. her sister, Charlotte, she finds out that she's a quote foundling, which is like adopted. But I suppose that was like the rude term back in the day. And then the woman that t reveals this to her would have been her future mother-in-law. And yeah. she has the most disproportionate response to the, the news that she finds out. Because I'm like, you 
must truly hate your future mother-in-law so much that you would rather just kill yourself and let her feel the weight of the guilt of that moment for the rest of her life than you having to be like, oh shit, and dealing with it. Because the second that that future mother-in-law tells her, she does not waste a second. She just walks up the stairs and just yeah, kills throws herself. the bracelet at Edna and says, bye. And I was like, I thought she was going to run away. And then I was like, whoa. And I was just like, and then she gets and then Edna gets married and then her son dies and like just punch after punch. And then, yeah, the husband one was really quick and exactly like you said, blink if you miss it and you'll miss it. Cause I had to rewind it to be like, did he die? I thought they were just talking at his bedside. And yeah. Then, Walter pigeon who played Sam. Yeah. He just, he, he was sick in bed and then, and that was it. Yeah. This movie, especially compared to all the other ones, jumped time very quickly. Yes. So it was a little jarring to be like, Whoa, we're like years ahead in a scene. Whereas in all the other movies happened over a like different period of time, or it was very clearly like, Oh, now we're here. Now we're here. This one was just like, she's talking about how mm, I need to go like help the kids at the, in the court. And then she's just there explaining. But I, I like, I like that. Cause like it moved along quickly. So I was never bored with anything. And like her performance uh, near the end was just like beautiful when she's like, like I want, Tony, Tony's going to be mine because she's like, I'm finally going to get this life that I envisioned before. I've done enough good work. And then kind of just like realizing that's probably not the best choice for Tony. And then she's walking around the bedroom, placing the pictures around like, and then the shots of her face where she's just like on the brink of tears from like loss, acceptance, hope, and like, I'm doing the right thing. And that I was just like, so moved by that. It was the one movie out of all of them that I was crying. Yeah, like, I, I would agree with that. I think that was basically similarly what I wrote in my notes as well was really near the end and that range of emotions and that sort of like journey that she has to go through, accept and, uh, you know, maybe put herself um or put others before her own needs because it is about like these children finding the right homes and, um like the maybe the the decision making process that you would have to go through and the challenges that you might have to face and i think like emotionally she navigated those scenes like brilliantly yeah. um i also love the courtroom scene she can certainly speak for herself publicly and i'm pretty sure um that after she was like there are no illegitimate babies there are only illegitimate parents and you know that that was like her drop the mic moment and she was like so pleased with herself after that line patting herself on the back and you're like you go Greer Garson yeah yeah <laughs> and I felt like out of these movies this movie was the one that like her performance and her character was the thing pulling it through the yes. most yes like really like and you could kind of couldn't take your eyes off of her like during certain parts where she was like taking things in even at parts where it was like getting kind of monologue because clearly this movie was trying to say something too, like with these, it being based on a true story and like all the things that she fought for. There were moments where it could have just kind of went into that. Like it almost felt a little bit. I'm like, this movie now would have been total Oscar bait, but they weren't probably thinking that at the time they were probably just making that movie. Right. And I, was going to mention this as a criticism, but I have been doing a lot of older movies um, recently. And I think a common theme here, and I'm going to assume this is actually part of just sort of the history of, of or, or a product of its time, let's say, whenever um, Charlotte uh, or Sam uh, dies, or uh, Sammy, sorry, whenever Sammy dies, 
uh, and like there's no, and, and her sister Charlotte, there is no grieving process at all. They don't show any of that. And that is always one no. of my biggest criticism of these movies is I'm like, why is this? I want to see the character reacting to that, going through that and, and what that takes. But then I think that during that time they were like, no, like you just pick yourself up with true grit and you move on. You don't cry about it. That's what a baby does. Cause I think back in the day, people were very like emotionalists, you know, therapy was for pussies. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And, and if a character did that, that was their character, that they're weak and that they like, exactly. Oh. That's you know, right. That was, yeah. And so to do that in the movie would like, Oh, we can't show that. They're they're gonna think the character's weak. Where it's like, no, that's just what a character goes through, and then they pick themselves up. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, because I've noticed that a lot in these movies, and I notice I keep saying this over and over again, and then I'm maybe starting to realize like that's just how it was back then um, mm-hmm. when it came to those kinds of topics. So uh, because they didn't, they use them more as like plot devices rather than like somebody actually with like mental health problems and like what that means and how that affects their lives and seeking help mm-hmm. for those issues. They're more just sort of like, Oh, well they're just crazy. They're just, yeah. weak, you know, so maybe, maybe that's what that was, but I'm just saying for the record that I, I maybe would have liked to see a little bit more of a grieving process because when Sammy dies, she literally just says monotonously, Sammy's dead, Sammy's dead. And that's Yeah. It. Yeah. And that's when I'd be like, oh, are we already on to the next thing? And there's no moments of, yeah, her dealing with that. And it was just like, nope, we're here. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> right. But I think the, the the strength in her performance really comes at near the end of the movie, yes. kind of in the final act, whenever you see what she has become, what she's done with her life, how she's you know, um, risen above all of the adversities that she has faced and um, what she's done for other people. And like you're saying, like those range of emotions from like the acceptance and her choices and then putting others before her. And yeah, it was, it was very, very good performance. And it's kind of when she kind of deals with it is when she's like kind of arguing for Tony's mind. I get to go now. This is now mine. That's kind of her getting to show that emotion of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a way you know what I mean because they can't mm-hmm. show it as a weakness they, so they have to show it as her kind of being angry at least that's mm-hmm. what I felt a little bit in that part where it's like she's finally almost dealing with it now like hey now it's my turn now I get my kid that I that passed I get a kid now and I get to raise them and be happy a um, couple facts about this movie the child who betrayed Tony in the movie was a four-year-old named Pat Barker it was only when Pat came to Fort Worth to celebrate the movie's premiere that the world discovered that Pat was actually Patricia. (laughs) Um, So Tennessee is trying to ban the movie is what I'm saying. Uh, (laughs) So Patricia, and if you actually in the movie, because I read this fact when I saw Tony on the screen and I was like, oh yeah, that's clearly a little girl. But you know, when they're so young, you just, they're so androgynous, right? Yeah. Um, this is the first of five consecutive Best Actress Oscar nominations for Greer Garson. She would win the following year for Mrs. Miniver, which I guess that'll be an episode that'll be coming out relatively soon because I think I only have like 20 episodes left of this show before we move on to Best Actor. Um, and the real Edna Gladney, who Greer Garson is portraying, placed more than 10,000 babies with adoptive parents during her career and totally revolutionized adoption practices, helping to grant adoptive children the same rights as, quote, natural children and giving orphans and birth mothers a place to stay and a hospital where they could receive treatment. Gladney helped develop modern-day adoption 
adoption practices and remove the stigma of illegitimacy from birth records and from society. Gladney treated all of her children as if they were her own and continued correspondence with adopted children long after they had left her care. So yes, this was based on a real person and a, uh, I suppose, significantly historic person. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else that you would like to add to Greer Garson's performance in Blossoms in the Dust before we move on? Uh, no, I just uh, very much enjoyed it. She was okay. great. She was great. I agree. Um, okay. Let's talk about Barbara Stanwyck in Ball of Fire. Now, okay, anybody listening to this podcast, if you have never seen Ball of Fire, I cannot recommend this movie <laughs> enough. I think it's on YouTube. I can't remember how I watched it, but it is literally like Snow White in the Seven Dwarfs meets the Big Bang Theory. It's um, so fun. <laughs> it's a lot. Of, it's a very fun movie. So very quickly, a group of professors working on a new encyclopedia while living in Manhattan in a Manhattan mansion take in a monthly nightclub singer uh, played by Barbara Stanwyck, who is wanted by the police to help bring uh, her mob boss lover bring down her mob boss lover. So basically Barbara Stanwyck is sort of like the, um, uh, how would I, it's almost like the odd couple where it's like, you have the nerdy, uh, professors and then she's like kind of the rough, it's almost like lady in the tramp, but like the lady is the tramp, if you know what yeah. I mean. Uh, <laughs> and she's, uh, has like a mob boss lover and that's kind of the conflict. This movie is probably one of its first of this time in history. Um, obviously like, you know, the bad girl ends up falling in love with the good guy, even though like she was deceiving him the whole time. And then she feels guilty about it. It's like, we've seen this, uh, many times in many films, uh, since, but this movie is a lot of fun. This was also, um, uh, a film that was written by Billy Wilder, who also wrote hold back the dawn, which, uh, will talk about that eventually but anyway this movie was so much fun and i loved barbara stanwick in and i loved her character if i'm being honest with you in terms of just sort of like a fun comedic performance i'm there for it uh but ginger rogers winning for kitty foil it's like i would give an oscar for something like that frankly i love this performance i loved this movie i don't know if it's necessarily like an Oscar performance for me but like it was so much fun and such an enjoyable film so I think that that does maybe warrant or maybe that does have value enough to be an Oscar nomination but anyway um, Bobby what did you think of this movie and what did you think of Barbara Stanwyck I was just looking at my notes and pretty much everything you said I have written down here first note was just <laughs> fun with an exclamation point because <laughs> I was, was just yeah. like enjoying it so much like I, and at one point I was like she should have won just for punching the maid that was like not <laughs> I just at that point I was like oh this movie's like a goofy like it reminded me kind of like oh 80s and 90s comedies took from yeah. this formula so much yes. the crime the crime thing that like like movies like dumb and dumber or something about mary i don't know why i just chose two fairly brothers once but like anything like <laughs> mid midnight run anything from the 80s with that crime background yeah. and then like these goofy characters put into these like situations they're not used to and just and then the addition of those eight hilarious like nerdy professor like that was just so great to have those as like side characters. Cause they were all so well introduced in that first scene of them walking through the park mm -hmm. that yeah, you Billy Wilder is just such a good writer where it's just like the characters immediately are all like you buy everybody. Like, 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, but what Billy Billy Wilder didn't he write um, like Sunset Boulevard and yeah, Apartment? Yeah, like, yeah. Come like it hot. Uh, yeah, he's six. He's won six Oscars. Like, yeah, like he he knows what he's doing. You know, like yeah. And this. Oh, and he also wrote Ninochka. Oh, Okay, we we just talked about this episode with uh, Greta Garbo and Ninochka. That was also a fantastic comedy as well. So. But yeah, this, it's so funny when you kind of see, like, when you see these movies, you're like, well, I've seen better versions of it. It's like, no, no, no. But like, this was the original yeah, I had formula. I reminding myself that of like, oh, no, this is that. They took from this. And this has all the elements of all the characters coming in at the end. When the old guys came in with the guns and everything, I was laughing. But the same thing you said at the end there. I was like, is this Oscar worthy? Like, she's amazing in it. Her character's great. And I had fun watching it the whole time. And I guess... I don't know enough of everything else that came out that year. Right. But it does feel kind of like, really? Like, it's so amazing that no doubt. And I really, really loved her performance and her character was great. And like, I liked her kind of like realizing she likes the falling for the good guy and like, have, and seeing a woman be that character and not the guy was also right. like cool in such an old movie. I was so like, you, this is awesome. Like, Oh, absolutely. So you had mentioned that you love that um, Barbara Stanwyck like punches the housekeeper. So <laughs> yeah. Kathleen Howard, who plays the housekeeper, was actually left with a fractured jaw when, oh, no! when the punch that Barbara Stanwyck threw accidentally made contact and Stanwyck was reportedly mortified by the incident. Uh, Lucille Ball wanted to play Catherine Sugarpuss O'Shea, which was Barbara Stanwyck's character, as she thought that it was the kind of role that would win her an Oscar. She fought for the role and was eventually hired, but once producer Samuel Goldwyn found out that Barbara Stanwyck was available, he gave her the part instead. And honestly, I could definitely see Lucille Ball playing this role, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, to pick up... Oh, what's that? But, Sam- but there's the parts of the sexiness, and nothing against Lucille Ball... She's just super funny. And that, but it would have been a chance for her to show that acting muscle because mm. everything I know her from is pretty goofy. Right. But like those sexy parts where she's kind of like turning him on and like, not turning him on, but like kind of convincing him, like, oh, like me kind of thing would have been kind of hammed up if it was Lucille Ball. Well, she had a very successful movie uh, career in that she had received lots of critical praise. I think she was. It was either MGM or RKO, and I'm not, this is completely going back to just being the Ricardos because I had to watch this recently, but she was just dropped inexplicably by the um, studios because they felt that she was, you know, too old because she was like 30. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I would have liked to have seen that side to her. I would have liked to see her give it a shot because clearly, I mean, she was an inc- she was an incredible talent, right? That's Yeah, that's what I mean. As I was saying it, I was like, but it's that thing of like, people don't think you can do something because they pigeonholed you as this. And then once you get the chance, you're like, whoa, that's amazing. Like, exactly. so yeah, maybe it would have been awesome. Yeah. Um, so to pick up the authentic slang for the film script, screenwriters Billy Wadler and Charles Brackett visited the drugstore across the street from Hollywood High School, a burlesque house, and a Hollywood Park racetrack, and I suppose just eavesdropped on people's conversations. Yeah. But when you're talking about Gary Cooper being so fascinated with Sugar Puss O'Shea, it's he literally is like, what is this bitch saying? I need to study you. <laughs> And I love that kind of comedy where he was just like, what are you? Like, you're 
uh, you know, Andre the alien, you know, like I am so confused. I want to know you like you're from another planet. And so I thought I thought that was really fun for the comedy that like you're saying it's the woman that's in that kind of role because usually it's the other way around. Right. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up because I loved that. It was such a cool thing watching this movie at the time talking about the slang and someone really smart not knowing it. But then someone us watching it now and like none of that slangs anything. And then even being confused by other things that, that he doesn't realize, not our slang, but like colloquialisms of his time. And that I was just finding fascinating too, of just like, and imagining it being made now of like the amount of crazy slang that, that someone would have to try to figure out. You know what I mean? Like it was I, very interesting in that point. Yeah, I feel like that would be like the word sick. Yeah. And you're like, what? Well, I think older people have a hard time with the word sick. So sick. I, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of slang that people, yeah, like, obviously. Also, I found it very interesting um, that Professor Audley, uh, played by Richard Hay- uh, Hayden, it took me a millisecond to recognize that he's the voice of the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland. Was Thank that, you. Ooh, ah, ooh, like, yeah. Okay, the talk, I'm like, I know this guy. I was yeah. like, well, I know, but I'm like, not his face, his voice. Yeah, that's right. A very, very distinct voice. Um, uh, but I will say that I didn't really have a lot of sympathy for her character. Also, a thing that I liked because she was obviously an anti-hero. Uh, because she's leading this sweet man, um, person Gary Cooper into a very sketchy, illegal, dangerous situation, and they kind of try to frame her. Um, as the victim of circumstance, but it's like, that's really more Gary Cooper, not her. Like she's definitely a con artist. So I liked the way that I had sort of complicated feelings about um, the character, but I do feel that that's more on the writing than it is the acting, but it's just such an enjoyable movie and such an enjoyable performance. And listen, I don't know what it takes to be nominated for an Oscar, but maybe for the time, this type of comedic performance was extremely groundbreaking. And and maybe just because we're so desensitized to comedic performances and maybe this and, was new, like, I don't know, but to me, and Billy Wilder, seem... sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there, but Billy no, Wilder gonna... is considered so like Oscar-y and everything that it's just like, Oh, one of his movies, you know? Exactly. Like yeah. Just a lot of fun. A really great performance. Oh, and really quick, this last movie, Little Foxes and Ball of Fire, had a similar actor. Dan Dur... I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. Duryea? Or Duryea? Uh, okay. He was like the nephew in uh, Ball of Fire. Oh, wait. No, sorry. We haven't talked about Little Foxes yet. My bad. My bad. <laughs> No, it's a, it's all good. Uh, the only thing that I did not get about this movie is why she suddenly hates the mob bus, and it's like, yeah, well, he's always been like this. <laughs> yeah, that that and that it's in the writing, not a character thing. Because I had that note too of just like that didn't like. Of course, she's falling for this guy now, but then the immediate switch to him, it just was like making him more evil. But it was like, yeah, but you were already with this guy. He didn't force you then. You were with him. Like, yeah, yeah. a little out. There should have been a little bit more of an emotional journey there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anybody listening, watch this movie. It's so much fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great film. Hey, Best Actress listeners. Enjoying the show? Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of Best Actress episodes from the very beginning, ad-free, by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bestactress. 
By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon, where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on, ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe. Um, okay, so you were talking about the Little Foxes. Let's let's talk about Betty Davis in the Little Foxes. So very quickly, uh, little fo- the Little Foxes, the ruthless moneyed Hubbard clan lives in and poisons their part of the Deep South at the turn of the 20th century. Wow, that is the worst description of this movie I've ever heard. Basically, <laughs> it's just people like a family trying to secure their inheritance because they're rich and privileged in the South. There's a lot of racism in this movie. There's yes. um, a lot of, a lot of uh, if you're triggered by white privilege and all of that kind of stuff, maybe this is not a movie for you. But of course, Betty Davis plays that sort of cunning, calculated sort of villainess type woman who is very cold and she plays it brilliantly. And this is certainly in her wheelhouse. This is one of her more famous and most and notable performances um you know i have to say of all of the betty davis movies this probably isn't one of my favorite i preferred something like the letter um dark victory i also i would i didn't really care for dark victory very much um good performance but i didn't really care for the movie and if i'm being honest with you i wouldn't really say I enjoyed this movie much either but of course this is a a brilliant performance I'm not saying that it isn't I understand the nomination where maybe compared to Barbara Stanwyck I would understand the nomination a little bit more but I found this movie to be uh, very dry and kind of boring and I feel like this movie is super uh, well regarded very critically acclaimed it was nominated for best picture maybe I'm missing something but I personally didn't really enjoy this film very much but that's just my opinion Uh, Bobby what did you think about the movie and what did you think of Betty Davis? I really enjoyed this one. Uh, <laughs> I was getting I because uh, are you a fan of Succession at all? Do you like that show? Um, I think I wrote that at one point. I said it's like a really racist episode of Succession. Yeah, I was getting uh, vibes of that, and I uh, really like that show. And uh, so I just like like I have a messed up family and everything. Uh, not everyone in my family, in case they're listening to this or anything, but like that. But like just <laughs> conniving kind of backstabbing things sometimes i'm always interested in stuff like that and i really liked watching her have to play different versions of herself depending on who she was talking to like Mm -hmm. more so than any of the other movies like she did a lot of like and then you'd be like oh she's lying to this person she's lying to that person and then you'd be like oh she's lying to herself and then like there were certain parts that just like her staring off into things I was very like brought in by. It was also, I think that I think this might've been the first one I watched. I can't remember now. So I just, my like attention and everything was very zoned in and focused and awake, but I yeah. really, really enjoyed the, cause the sisters were also nominated as well or not the sister, sorry, her sister in law and then her daughter were also nominated. And it was like, who this movie I really enjoyed because there were so many different female characters going back and forth with each other. And this is why I brought that thing up when we were talking about that last movie. Like when you have emotions or anything like that, you're labeled weak, like the aunt. Mm-hmm. Like she, she let things affect her. So she automatically was the weak member of the family. And then, uh, 
that end with where, where she's sorry if ruining spoilers for this 1941 movie uh, <laughs> we have uh, a lot end, of spoilers on this on this show please <laughs> uh the end when she's like when her husband is like dying and get asking her to help him and she he's like walking away that stare off just like pause and then when he faints and then she like turns on again like oh somebody like and then the back and forth with her daughter i was like really really in Capsule is that the right word? Encapsulated. Uh, you were, yeah. I mean, I like you were. What's the Just, word? You were. You're yeah, ca- that word. Captivated. You're captivated. captivated. Not encapsulated. That means I'm in something. Yeah, yeah, captivated. I was just. And then when she's like, kind of, her daughter leaves her, and she's staring at the window. At this moment of like, she can't even look at her reflection in the window or look at herself, so she goes and like recedes into the shadows. I was like pretty into this one because it was like one of the only ones that was like a villainous female role that got nominated i don't know i mean i'm such a big betty davis fan it's just she always kind of telegraphs to the audience that like she's up to no good and it's like (laughs) yeah this is just this is just such in her wheelhouse that i literally watch this and i'm just sort of like this isn't a huge departure from like the letter or from not that she was up to no good in dark victory, but there were moments where she seemed like she was. And I'm like, why are you doing that? But I will say she did a lot of beautiful hair fluffing in this movie. That was a character <laughs> choice that I enjoyed. She, she would kind of fix her hair in this very specific way. And I'm like, it wasn't necessary for the character, but it just kind of made the character more realistic. And I loved the choices that she um, made in that sort of regard. I love that she would just say things like, I hope you die soon just so bluntly um she's clearly like an alpha where uh i love that you have like um where you're you're, this is sort of a commentary on gender roles and how it's like the brothers are really the people that are in charge because she wants um horace's permission but she can't because she's a woman even though she's you know just as much of a child of uh their father and so you she's kind of like fighting against that and I think it's just fun seeing Betty Davis do this kind of thing over and over again. I guess I just am not terribly impressed by it because I just, I know she can do this in her sleep. And so when I'm watching this, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is like, uh, cause this is regarded as one of her, her best performances. I just, I didn't love it. It's like, I get it. It's Betty Davis. Like she's obviously like doing an amazing job. That's not what I'm saying. I guess I'm just saying I wasn't overly impressed with it because it's like, I know she can do this in her sleep. Yeah. See, and I haven't watched obviously as much as you have. So I'm coming from it from a little, just a different, not as like comparing it to too many. I've only seen a few and in the past. And so like for me, just like the, the character, like, and I sympathize with her even when she was being, shitty because of that fact of like she's getting screwed over just more because she's a woman so mm-hmm. she has to like be more of this way in this family of kind of people who think and act this way and that's why her daughter's trying to break away from it and in a way she's kind of like proud of her i think when she's like oh you're not just like what does she say like sugar water or something like some insult where you're just nothing like a pushover Mm-hmm. she's like pleased with her in that regard i was like those little moments i really enjoyed like the ending really what, what got me was her like moment with the husband and then her daughter and then that moment in the window which is obviously like direction too but just like her like 
said a lot with her eyes with that of just like i hate the person i am but i also love the person i am i was just like ooh, like uh. oh yeah oh absolutely and also too like i love how complicated the relationship with the daughter was Mm -hmm. because she kind of was just like i get why you're mad she's like but i'm gonna do me and (laughs) yeah yeah and she's just kind of like that sucks that you feel that way i get it but like i gotta survive and i love that um villainess sort of character of her she has moments where i'm just like oh my god yes but it's just i guess it's more more the movie i didn't care for but i mean come on it's betty davis like she's knocking it out of the park um so okay a couple facts about this movie betty davis and william wyler fought a great deal during filming disagreements ranged from davis's interpretation of the character because wyler thought that she should be more sympathetic to the appearance of uh, the house Davis thought that it was far too opulent for a family for a family struggling financially um, to her appearance and Weiler thought her white makeup made her look like a quote kabuki performer um, Davis eventually walked out of production but returned when she heard rumors that she was going to be replaced by Catherine Hepburn or Miriam Hopkins which is very funny. Uh, William Wyler encouraged Betty Davis to see Tallulah Bankhead's Broadway performance of uh, The Little Foxes, and Davis was not keen on the idea but agreed to do so, regretting it instantly as she realized that she was now forced to play the character in a very different manner. Bankhead played her as a fighter, where Davis's interpretation was more of a cold, calculating, and conniving woman. For the second straight year, a William Wyler and uh, directed Betty Davis in a vehicle which was nominated for Best Picture, Director, and Actress at the Academy Awards. The year before, the film in question was The Letter. And for the second straight year, everybody went home empty-handed. Um, so what I'm going to say is my favorite scene was when uh, she says all of those horrible things to Horace about how she never loved him and how his touch disgusts her ultimately forcing him to have a heart attack and she kind of does nothing to help him and she just sits there with this cold look on her face and she knows that this is her last card that she can play that she can play um and allow him to die so that she can blackmail her brothers because they stole the money from the bank and um i do enjoy just how calculated she was and i do enjoy that she literally just let him die because she doesn't give a shit um, which is obviously quite uncommon for a female character during this time, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, also another thing that I thought was hilarious was uh, a disagreement between two gentlemen would open with a flurry of bitch slaps. Yes! Oh, my God, about that. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. That was so funny. Oh, that's that actor, the guy who gets slapped. He was oh. in both, both um, Little Foxes and Ball of Fire. He's like one of the gangsters, like... In ball With the of fire portrait that falls on him right yes yeah. yeah and he's like the nephew who steals the thing and this was this guy's first two movies he's getting hit uh, in the face a lot in these movies yeah and i was just like that's because that's what actually stood out i was like is that that same guy because like it's black and white i wasn't sure sometimes their faces kind of like when they're just those background actors i'm like ah maybe i just watched this too close and i looked it up and yeah it's the same actor i'm like he's getting beat up in both of these he really was um okay so do you have anything else that you would like to add to betty davis's performance before we move on uh no i really yeah that last scene i loved it because it was like i felt it was breaking the fourth wall slightly and it's supposed to sound weird but she was like acting in that moment and it was like she was like 
in the wings, like staring off, like, oh, he's dying, he's dying. And then when he passes out and she like, time to act. And she's like, oh my God, everyone help, help. I was like, I really loved how, yeah, calculated that was. And it wasn't like hammy. I was like, ooh, this is good. I enjoyed <laughs> that. Yeah. And I would like that, like, yeah, this one, like you were saying, got nominated for a bunch of stuff and won nothing. Because like the aunt and the daughter were also nominated too for supporting. Right. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the alcoholic aunt would have won uh, the best supporting because she, she was, was Yeah. She was very Yeah, that's good what I had. I had written down because I was like, yeah, because I was like, she's amazing. And then I wanted to know and I looked it up and that's when I found out that they were both nominated. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, because she was great and I thought she should have won. But obviously I didn't see all the other nominated movies. Yeah, that, yes. I guess that's another episode that we got yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so then let's talk about Hold Back the Dawn with Olivia de Havilland. So very quickly, stopped by stopped in Mexico by U.S. immigration, George Escovescu hopes to get into the country by marrying a citizen, a.k.a. Olivia de Havilland. And um, she literally uh, is like, I do not understand this, driving down to Mexico on the 4th of July, wrong <laughs> country, honey. Uh, turn around and she's driving a bunch of uh, students because she's driving a school bus and she crashes the school bus inexplicably out of a fit of anger. And I don't, I didn't understand it. I thought that this whole plot made no sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then they get married the same day after like meeting each other in the same day. Yeah. And back in the day, people would just say, I love you. But I think it, they confused lust with love back in the, I don't think they understood what that word meant. Cause everybody was just falling in love with each other after knowing each other for like half a sip of a <laughs> wine cooler. And you're like, yeah, no, that's not love, babe. Like you don't know each other. And, but anyway, so just the plot itself to me, I couldn't really wrap my mind around and I found it kind of a little frustrating, but this movie is so critically acclaimed. It is so beloved. People are like, wow. Olivia de Havilland's ultimate challenge here was trying to sell this extremely fast marriage and she knocks it out of the park and it's just so believable and she's so lovely and she's so this and she's so that. Just like uh, Barbara Stanwyck in Ball of Fire, which is also written by Billy Wilder. Um, Hold Back the Dawn is also written by Billy Wilder, I mean. Um, These performances, just like Barbara Stanwyck, it's like this movie is a lot of fun. But I don't know if it's like an Oscar performance. I think back in the day, people would often get um, nominated because they're like, oh my God, like I would love to marry this woman because she's just the perfect woman. And it's like, eh, is that an Oscar nomination? Like, I, I don't, but I, I suppose that that's what the role called for. And of course, it's a different time in history. But just looking at this through the lens of 2023, I just have to say, I wasn't really wowed by this performance. It's a fun movie, just like Ball of Fire. Ball of Fire is more fun. It, it's a fun movie, but um, I just, I didn't love it. And I, I find this nomination a little confusing, but that's just me. Uh, what did you think of this movie, Bobby? And what did you think of Olivia de Havilland? I agree with the, there were like parts of it. I was just like, wait, what? I had to like go back a couple of times because mm-hmm. I was the same thing. I was like, did they marry on the same night? Why did she, why is she in a bus with these kids? It was all <laughs> so like weirdly. I'm like, did he combine two scripts together? That's what it felt like at points was like he had two that weren't working and he put them together, even though this might have been based on something. I don't know. But 
And then there were parts where I was like, why isn't Paulette Goddard nominated? Because she seems to have equal amount of like. Mm-hmm. And she was more interesting. Yes, that's what I meant. Like, it was like she had equal amount and her character was more interesting and went through more rather than Olivia thinking this one thing until the very end. And then again, again, like having that weird throwing the thing out the window and then coming back and getting in an accident because of it. Like there were just parts where I was just like, oh, what? And it's not like, yeah, it's it's a fun, enjoyable movie. And I think because you were saying why it's like it's loved and revered. I think it's that thing that Hollywood loves a movie that jerks itself off for a second. And because right. this is a movie that it's a guy narrating to try to turn it into a movie, it automatically people are like, oh, this is great. Like, right. It's that self-congratulatory thing where people love Hollywood loves those movies that are like about them. Like, but also maybe they like nominated her because Joan Fontaine was also nominated and they're like, Ooh, like let's pin them up against each other. Yeah. Like that thing we were saying, you were saying at the beginning. Yeah, for sure. That as well, because it might've been at the moment of the moment thing and not necessarily the movie itself. Cause yeah. Why wouldn't Paulette Goddard get a nomination? But it's like, she wasn't this thing pitted. Like they weren't pitted against each other. And she was just too, like, naive and trusting. And it was just like, oh, girl, let's catch some self-esteem. Like, what are you doing? And then whenever, uh, like, you're saying Paulette Goddard was literally like, this is the actual truth. We've been scamming you. And this is what's happening. And she would just be like, I I don't believe it. I I refuse. I don't. I know who he is as a person. Like, oh, my God, you dumb bitch. Like, no, this is so fucking stupid. Yeah. Also, when she dies, she dies because a scarf Scarf, flies on top of her head. But then the camera, they literally show a camera angle where you can see through the fucking scarf. scarf. So she wasn't blinded. So why did you get into a car accident? It made no sense. I was so frustrated by uh, this character. I was frustrated by the way she died. I was frustrated that they would literally be like, run, bitch. These are facts. And she's like, no, I'm going to just stay here and just continue to be conned. And I was like, oh my God, like I found it. I I get this was supposed to be a 1940s version of romance, but like not for me. And I, I didn't get it. (laughs) I didn't get it. They were dead. And it like, it was one of the ones I watched later, but Mm -hmm. that's a matter because I watched Little Foxes later or, and I enjoyed that. Or Blossoms, like one of those ones I watched later and I enjoyed that one. So it wasn't the fact that I watched it later. I, I was just found parts of it and there's always times like you said when it's an older movie you got to give it that like oh this was that of the time but even giving it that i was still like no because the other women in the other roles were making better choices and smarter choices even in the one that billy wilder wrote the other one she was more fleshed out yeah so this one just felt like lazy writings at times of like well she's supposed to be this throughout the movie so we're just gonna make her that Yeah, there was no change. There was no growth other than her just finding out the truth. That was really it. Yeah, exactly. And then it was like her kind of being like, I'm strong, but not really. It's just, I know now. It was weird. I didn't like, it was one of those ones where I'm like, now when you explain that more, it makes more sense of like the pitting against each other thing. And it would have been more for like that entertainment aspect of the awards. Because it was just kind of like, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it it's an entertaining movie. Like I, yeah. I, I wasn't I wasn't bored watching it. I actually did enjoy this film. I, I'm just saying that I find this Oscar nomination like a little confusing. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't like, oh man, this is like 
looking at my watch kind of thing, but it was more just like, and rolling my eyes at some of the things about it, which then made me go, what Oscar worthy Were the other movies, maybe ball of fire. I did, I went, is this Oscar worthy, but not because of like quality or characters. Mm. It was just because of the comedy aspect of it. But this one, I was kind of like, eh, this is just kind of seems like a generic thing. Yeah. Kind of just, you know, it wasn't like a terribly groundbreaking plot. It wasn't yeah. anything that was like, but again, like it's just, if you have like an hour and a half, or I think this is an hour and 50, it's like, if you want to, if you oh. want to check out, like, it, like it's, it's a fun movie. I don't really think that cause in the movie, it's like the open, it opens with like, you're going to be so amazing. He goes up to like a movie producer and he's like, you yeah, need to know this story. And I'm like, does he? <laughs> I know. I was like waiting for that thing. I was like, really? But did it get, I don't I have just noticed this note before we go into the next one. It was giving me vibes of she's all that. Like, cause like he was like, you know, like, like falling in love with her at the end. I was like, literally like you did it. Cause it was a bet. And now you love it. <laughs> that's a great reference, Bobby. I love that. But that's, that's one for the straight boys right there. <laughs> love that movie um so yeah, the fun watch fun watch oh fun watch um the original script included an early scene where charles boyer the lead talks to a cockroach in his room boyer dismissed the scene as idiotic and convinced uh, director mitchell leeson uh to delete it screenwriters billy wilder and charles brackett were so incensed at leeson for giving in they resolved to direct and produce their own movies from then on. And then Billy Wilder went on to win six Oscars. So I guess thanks Charles Boyer for being frustrating and it creatively worked uh, out for uh, Billy Wilder. Yeah. Thank you. This random cockroach. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, this marked the first time a pair of siblings was ever nominated at the Academy Awards as we've already discussed um this wouldn't happen again until 1966 when vanessa redgrave and lynn redgrave found themselves both competing for best actress though uh in that instance neither of them won um okay so i think we should move on and we should talk about our winner um joan fontaine unless there's anything else that you would like to add no, I think you covered everything, and I got to send my little uh, "she's all that" uh, note reference in there. <laughs> so I am pleased with myself. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm also pleased with you as well. Uh, okay, so let's talk about Joan Fontaine in Suspicion. So uh, a shy young heiress marries a charming gentleman, played by Cary Grant, and soon begins to suspect that he is planning to murder her. And spoiler alert: I'm giving a major spoiler alert. If you don't want to know what the <gasps> ending is, spoiler alert: it turns out that he is actually trying to kill himself dun 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 um i'm gonna say the facts about this movie and just kind of get them out of the way there are like a bunch of them here um so like let me just get through this and then we'll get into the performance so in interviews alfred hitchcock said that an rko executive ordered that all scenes in which Cary grant appeared menacing to be excised from the film when cutting was completed, the movie ran only 55 minutes. The scene were later restored, and Hitchcock said, because he shot each piece of film so that there was only one way to edit them together properly. This is a technique called in-camera editing, a trick Hitchcock uh, had already employed a year before filming Rebecca, also starring Joan Fontaine, to prevent producer David O. Selznick from interfering, interfering with the final cut of the movie. 
Joan Fontaine's performance in this movie is the only Oscar-winning performance that Alfred Hitchcock directed, and she was the last surviving credited cast member when she died in 2013. Oh, that's a dark fact. According to (laughs) movie historian Felicia Feister, Cary Grant's frustration with Alfred Hitchcock stemmed from Hitchcock's attentive behavior toward leading lady Joan Fontaine. Grant felt that Hitchcock gave Fontaine preferential treatment to the detriment of his character. This behavior led to a lifelong bitter relationship between Grant and Fontaine, exacerbated by Fontaine's Academy Award success and Grant's perceived snub for this movie. That I think is laced a little bit in sexism, but because whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, I already mentioned that. And I already mentioned that. And okay. So Joan Fontaine in this movie, this movie is a lot of fun. Uh, Alfred, Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock is clearly a master of suspense. And um, obviously he does much better um, versions of these themes in in later years, like in in Psycho, for example. But this movie is still like um, there's a lovely twist. There, there is a wonderful sense of suspicion. There is that sense of fear. I think Joan Fontaine gives a wonderful performance. I think that this movie is highly entertaining, um, and I really enjoyed her performance. It's a movie that if somebody was like, "Hey, you want to watch this movie again?" I would definitely watch it again. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of fun to see Alfred Hitchcock's, like some of his earlier work. Um, Bobby, what did you think of this movie and what did you think of Joan Fontaine? Uh, I was looking forward to this one the most, obviously I chose this one because I went on an Alfred Hitchcock kick. The theater here, the Mayfair was doing a retrospective of his few months back and I saw strangers on a train and, uh, rear window and to catch a thief and Vertigo, and North by Northwest. So I was super jazzed for this, for seeing another Cary Grant, Alfred Hitchcock, and Joan Fontaine for winning the Oscar. And I gotta say, it was a little bored. <laughs> I, uh, okay. Um, and I was surprised, because I was like, between some I've seen of his. Because I thought I was like, oh, maybe it's because it's an earlier one. But then I was like, oh no, Rear Window, and To Catch a Thief. I think, oh no, it is before those ones. Never mind. Okay. I got to change my opinion then because it was cool seeing his, like, what he's Earlier. going to do later. Yes. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Like watching Clerks compared to a, a Reservoir Dogs or some something earlier. Right. And then being like, oh, they employ this later and do it much better. Uh, right. I also, I guess because I like Cary Grant, I didn't like seeing him as such a douche. <laughs> and felt more bad for Joan Fontaine. But, like, not in a way that helped her performance like just right. made me like more just like oh i don't like this right. like like and then like her, her his weird nickname for her uh monkey face, monkey face. It, i didn't like it because it like started as an insult and i just was like oh this was just giving me like a gross feeling I and know. then and then like i was enjoying like her like when she starts kind of piecing it together in the suspense, because Hitchcock is just good at that. And so like, I was enjoying that part, but then at the end, I think when it ended, I was like, huh, weird. That was, <laughs> that was <laughs> like, it was like, it was an, I was just like, not what I expected. And yeah, I was just more like, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't. And, and, with the other movies, I could put my finger on why I was feeling something. This one, mm-hmm. I couldn't exactly put my finger on. And then it kind of made me go like, 
oh, okay. And that is weird that that's his only Oscar-winning performance from a Hitchcock movie, that she's the only one. Well, I do think that she has a lot to uh, portray emotionally. And also, the year before, like, everybody really felt that she knocked it out of the park in the movie Rebecca. So it's like, that that is a little bit sort of like adding on to why maybe the Academy had voted See, for her to win. Yeah, and I didn't know that because, like, if I would have known that, it's like a Leo thing. Like, I don't think Leo right. should have won for The Revenant, but he totally should have won for two of the other ones before. So it was like, a, let's give it to him. Like, Right. And th- and yeah. that actually is kind of the general consensus. But you know what's funny is like I've seen so many Leo movies. And for me, I felt that the only Oscar that he really should have won was for What's Eating Gilbert Grape. But that that's, one is like his yeah. one of his best performances. But I also think Wolf of Wall Street should have won because that movie is just like it's so bad. And not bad in like <laughs> it's a bad movie, but it's just like anti-hero yeah i hate talking about it with certain guys because they'll be like yeah the movie's awesome i'm like no (laughs) it's disgusting but i love it like because scorsese's such a master at making movies about those types of people but uh sorry yeah sorry to jump from that to that but yeah so for this one enjoyed it but in a way that i was kind of like "Eh," and just felt it felt very like but then again it felt like gaslight the movie like yeah. well that actually won ingrid bergman a oscar a couple of years like 1946 which is where we get that term from oh really <laughs> yeah oh i'm glad i brought that up i had that it's in all, my notes yeah it's all best actress of, uh, uh friendly yes <laughs> yeah uh but then i was like what i liked about this one rather than the other ones was it had me thinking about it more later well, I think that Joan Fontaine had a lot to deal with here because she feels um, sort of like a little embarrassed that she never got married. And then the things that like her parents are kind of talking shit about her, about like never being married or never having kids. So then she like hooks up with Cary Grant to kind of prove her family wrong. And then when they elope all of a sudden and that decision that she makes, you can tell is very difficult for her because she has to lie to her family. And then she also has to deal with um, being the supportive wife because there was a certain expectation of how wives were were supposed to be during this uh, time, like Olivia de Havilland in, um, you know, uh, Hold Back the Dawn, where the difference was that Joan Fontaine was suspicious, where Olivia de Havilland was literally told, like, your husband is a con artist. And she was like, nope. No. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where I did really love her performance, because it, you, it believably saw how she would quickly fall in love with this guy. The pressures of her parents, the her own feelings of, am I going to go my, through my life like this? The charmingness of Cary Grant. It worked a lot. Whereas in that other one, yeah, live one. I'm like, this guy's not even that fucking charming. Like, why are you like, yeah. or Cary, Cary Grant, Cary Grant. Like, you know what I mean? I was like, woo, Cary, like, please. Even, but then he'd say something really douchey. I'm like, Cary. You were nice. I know. To catch a thief, and you were a thief in that movie. <laughs> I know. And, and yeah, whatever. Which, sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. Uh, like which was good though because he was playing that well like that like i really enjoyed the scene when he was like oh i need a thousand dollars because like i paid for that but i didn't i couldn't pay for that but you wanted that and then i was just like "Ooh, this is and her like what like her realizing that 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 part that's when i really was starting to get more on board and everything and been like oh okay this she's giving this a lot more than just being like oh i love this guy and Right. Yeah. And 
it is like another great scene is whenever um he sells her father's like museum chairs and she isn't freaking out but she's trying to give him the benefit of the doubt and it's this sort of balance of like doubt anger and acceptance because also she has like a guest over and like you know a housewife has to entertain yes and like there was just a lot of emotions going on there and i think that she really knocked those scenes um out of the park um I think that this movie is also full of reading challenges. I didn't know how literal yes. America was during this time, but it was a lot of like letters held up to the screen and you had yeah. to read them. This was a common theme. And I was like, oh my God, okay, here we go. Let's do this. Let's read this. Yes. And I was just like, for a point, I was like getting up to get something and I was like, why don't I hear any talking? And then I come back, I'm like, oh, what? There was like eight letters on the screen? <laughs> Yeah, there were a lot of letters. I, and I'm like, wasn't there a lot of illiteracy? Like, were it, movies just Hitchcock for rich people? Hitchcock does that, though. I'm, yeah. I'm remembering now, Rear Window had some writing and stuff. Like, he just likes to do that so that you're like, you're paying attention. Because if you miss something, you might miss something. Like, he's right. like that. So I think that He'll might be you. also... Yeah, yeah, that might also be a little bit of his thing and just the movies of the time. Because they all started... I actually kind of like that quick one-page intros for all the movies i think all of them had it and i'm like i kind of miss that for movies yeah you know what i, mean? I like it, that too yeah it was like not too much it was just enough because sometimes mm-hmm. now if they do it it's way too much you know what i mean if a movie tries to do it it was just like a nice little like boop and i was like oh that's nice <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's a very formal way of introducing a film yeah yeah and i like that it, yeah, it was like they're us figuring out, like, how are we going to introduce these going forward? It's like, well, we're going to do this for these few years. Like, <laughs> right. Um, um, I yeah. also thought that the best sort of like Alfred Hitchcock twist, uh, in a more modern way of putting it, let's say M. Night Shyamalan sort of twist, was that it was all a misunderstanding and then there actually is like a happy ending. Yeah, see, I that I like liked and also like disliked. But not in a way of it was bad, but just in the way of like, no, that's not what I wanted to happen. (laughs) I think it's more just sort of like, I kind of thought that was brilliant because I'm like, well, some, someone is going to die. I don't know who, but someone. And then, no, no, that didn't happen. It was all a misunderstanding. He was going to kill himself. And then they're like, she's like, oh, please forgive me. And let's go home. And then he just turns the car around and they just go home. And that's, that's the ending. And I was like. Oh, wow. I was like, I was not expecting that. See, that's why my reaction was, huh, weird. <laughs> that's my first note for the ending. I was just like, huh. <laughs> I, I, I like that, though. And I, I thought that that was so... A happy ending was unexpected. And I think that that's, like, a really good um, credit to the script. Yes. Because it frames it in such a, uh-oh, like, who's going to die? Because whenever... Uh, what is his name? B... Beaky? Be- Becky? Be- Be- Beaky, yeah, I think it's Beaky or Ber- Whenever Beaky he or dies, yeah. it's like, that's the, okay, you're next, bitch, you know? And yeah. it didn't go there. And I thought that that was kind of, like, original, because our expectation is that someone's going to die. Well, yeah, and it's also kind of, like, made me kind of uh, slap myself for being a prejudgment thing of, like, oh, all old movies are going to do this type of thing. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, oh no, this took a risk then because it probably you you thought this is what this was gonna do, and it was probably more like, yeah, let's do this. Like, I wonder if because of the censors, maybe they were like, oh, a husband cannot be portrayed killing his wife; it's too violent, and maybe that's why he had to change it. 
I don't know because I'm thinking of some movies from back then have that plot. Even other Hitchcock ones, it's like right. the rear window one is like him. I'm trying to think how how big of a jump of time is that though. Was rear window fifty? Fifty-four? Yeah, and so that's like twelve 13, years. 14. That might change completely. And like Hitchcock was one of those people always pushing for what was kind of like pushing the border on what was acceptable and what wasn't allowed. And that's why he'd always kind of not show things. So yeah, maybe it's the, of the time of like, oh, we can't go too, too far. Maybe he did want that. That would be an interesting one to know if there's like a different ending floating around. Just as a side note, I just have to say that the fucking Simpsons parody of Rear Window is so funny where Bart oh. thinks that Flanders killed his wife. Yes, and I was watching it in theaters and because I've seen that one so much, it was so hard to like, not, not like think of it the entire like the other things Hitchcock movies have been so like uh like parodied and stuff like that and even other Simpsons episodes but I was able to get into North by Northwest even though there's the scene of Marge running through or whatever but because that episode is like the whole plot of the movie the whole time during Rear Window I'm just like seeing Bart and Flanders <laughs> <laughs> and the scream that like Ned has yes <laughs> <laughs> point someone screams in rear window and i laughed in the theater people were kind of like that wasn't funny and i was like uh it's because i'm thinking of flanders (laughs) (laughs) oh that's great um okay so i do think that for time's sake that we should um wrap this up and yeah and and, uh and i don't want to take up any any more of your time but it's very important now we should select who we think that the oscar should have gone to now you are my guest of honor so bobby please reveal who you think that the oscar should have gone to okay i think the oscar should have gone to greer garson okay why uh, out of all the movies, like I said, it was the one that like made me cry. And yeah, that is because of like the subject matter obviously was heavier. So it was good pr- prone to do that. But it was like the moments that made me cry were because of her performance and the little subtle things that she was doing and everything. And those like moments of like her having that speech and everything just really was like, whew, this is making me feel things and that's what i kind of go on like technical technical wise maybe someone else but like after watching all these i was like i wrote that right like halfway through i was like this is who i think should have won oh my gosh okay this is actually very difficult because it's a very much a mm, it's between like two people for me right now and i'm like who do i pick um i'm excited Oh my God. Okay. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. Okay. Um, I think that the Oscar should have gone to. Joan Fontaine for suspicion. So my close second is Greer Garson. The only reason why I wouldn't have selected Greer Garson is only because I didn't enjoy the first, half of her performance i loved the later half of it and i think that greer garson had more of an interesting arc i think that it's based on a real person i think that that also makes it a little bit more interesting we love a biopic Mm -hmm. um i i also think that like uh 
like her ch- change was the the biggest change of all yes. of these characters. But I do think for Joan Fontaine and Suspicion, I don't think that at this time these types of performances were really um, popular or uh, in the mainstream. And so it was kind of probably very groundbreaking. And the subject matter was probably very groundbreaking, especially the world being introduced to Alfred Hitchcock and what he could bring to the table. And I think that working with Joan Fontaine, it's like she had such um, an emotional journey and uh, the way that she had to react to things while also still maintaining to be like an English lady. Also, we forgot to mention that she does a very good British accent that she um because she's not british and um yeah that's right I, at no point was i like oh we're sometimes in these movies especially back then when they'll just get someone like you're this and they're <laughs> and yeah. like oh but yeah it didn't even phase at all well that was like uh in oh my gosh what was this movie that we were it, it's an episode that's coming out um and this is like maybe uh, a little bit of a spoiler for a new episode <laughs> but uh down the line because uh, there was an episode that we talked about uh, for Summer and Smoke with Geraldine Page, and she's supposed to have a Southern accent, but she sounds like British. And you're like, what? Where are you on. from? <laughs> I don't understand. So I just thought that Joan Fontaine um, and the level of anxiety that she brought to the performance, it's just probably something that most moviegoers weren't used to seeing at this time. And it's not horror exactly. It is definitely a thriller and a mystery. And I think that it's just um, one of the originals of this type of genre. And I think that that is something to celebrate. And I think that she nailed it. And I think she knocked it out of the park. And I also think that she gave a wonderful performance in Rebecca the year before. And I do think that that is a big part of the reason why she did win this Oscar. But for me, my personal choice would be Joan Fontaine, but I also would select Greer Garson as well. I just preferred suspicion as a movie overall. Nice. And the more you talked about it, the more I'm like, Oh yeah, I didn't even really think of that aspect of that. And like so many other things going into it the performance i mean of the time because i'm watching a movie and i'm thinking of the time but also like their performances you have to factor that in too and so Mm -hmm. definitely i mean like like oh yeah that was cooler than i thought or better than i thought at parts and the other one yeah it is just like a biopic it's kind of like as long as you do the pieces well it's gonna go well absolutely and i I think greer garson did such an amazing job which is probably why she won the following year right Nice. I'm going to have to check out that one then because I enjoyed that. All right. Okay. So, uh, well, that concludes another episode of Best Actress. Uh, Bobby, where can people find you and where can people find Andre the Alien on social media? Uh, Andre the Alien, uh, he has Instagram where he posts all of his uh, lovely shows and he's got his show That's Comedy that happens all over Ottawa and is actually traveling around a little bit. So his handle is just Andre underscore the alien. And then I'm doing a bunch of touring and yucks stuff. I'm going to be in Winnipeg this summer at the new yucks club. And then I'll be putting out my album midsummer and popping around Northern Ontario and some Southern Ontario and some other stuff. And you can follow me, Bobby Knuff and cats on Instagram. And that's where I post most of my stuff as well. I love that so much. Okay. Thank you, Bobby, so much for doing this episode. We'll definitely have to have you back in the future and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. Yeah. Did you enjoy the show? Want to hear more episodes? Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad-free with your subscription. 
Subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else. Oh my god. Go to patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe, and I will see you all at Howard's Inn.